Lord God, just as your apostles and teachers shared reports of, of what you were doing in the lives of people to transform them, Lord, we pray that that same great joy would be evident uh, here in this place, in our congregation. Lord, we, we lift up our sister churches in our community and truly, Lord, around the world that are gathered this Worldwide Communion Sunday. And we ask you, Lord, to please uh, greatly bless them and fill them with your spirit as we invite your spirit to guide us today uh, in this time of hearing from the word and then nourishing upon your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, the bread of life. Amen. Well, welcome to Building Antioch, part four, our fall series. Christians in Antioch were an unlikely church community raised in a pluralistic and polytheistic culture, very multicultural community, a melting pot where there was little to no uh, understanding of the Jewish God, very unlikely place that a church would grow. Despite all of that, the church at Antioch remains one of the most transformational churches in history. Their church was built on spiritual power, innovations to advance the gospel, remarkable teaching, generous giving, and mission sending, all designed by God to transform a people, a community, and their world. And so we've been looking at the characteristics and attributes of this special church. And our hope has been that by the power of the Holy Spirit, these same characteristics, these same attributes, would be evident in our own lives and certainly in the life of our church here at Nielsville. Today's attribute, commitment to truth, if you're taking notes, commitment to truth, that believing in and clinging to Jesus' gospel is at the center of a transformational church. Christians in Antioch lived with a sense of spiritual power, a desire to advance the gospel, a willingness to sacrifice because they had a firm commitment to the truth. They knew they'd been saved by faith alone in Jesus, and they weren't going to let anybody tell them otherwise. Built on a foundation of biblical teaching, the church established sound theological foundation for years to come. The same is needed today in our generation, in every generation. The explicit gospel of Jesus Christ has been misrepresented, misunderstood, It's been marginalized by far too many Christian leaders. We've seen in our own generation what I call a crisis of compromise that has led to confusion and division, the preaching of a false gospel, and in fact, the weakening of Christians' witness everywhere. Now, the answer to this crisis of compromise lies in a recovery in a reaffirmation of God's unchanging message to an ever-changing world. Today's passage recounts the first crisis of compromise. It was so controversial, the stakes were so high that it almost derailed the Great Commission from its very beginnings. If they hadn't worked this out at the beginning of the church, who knows where we would be today? Now, the first theological challenge Uh, faced by the church at Antioch, was about the very nature of the gospel itself. The problem was rooted in a wrong assumption by Jewish Christians that the gospel had to remain Jewish. 
non-Jewish, that is Gentile, converts to Jesus, to Yeshua, were welcome so long as they adhered to Jewish practices, especially circumcision, the mark of the covenant relationship God had established through Abraham. So that's the controversy that's, that sets up all of Acts 15 and, and 16, and we can't cover all of it this morning, but I wanted to give you some broad strokes of what was going on in Antioch. Requiring circumcision of male converts was essential to the Jewish identity. To give it up was unthinkable. They thought to compromise that would be to compromise the very covenant itself. And since the first Christians were Jewish in the first place, they naturally assumed the way to become a Christian had to include the mark of circumcision. But things were different in Antioch. The gospel preached was, a, uh, was that a person was saved through faith alone, without any works, without earning anything. It was a message rooted in the credibility of Jesus' own claims. If Jesus of Nazareth is the living God in human form, it's natural for him to say the things that he did. It's natural for him to say, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. If Mary's child is the God to whom we must give an account of our lives, and he says, your sins are forgiven, then your sins are forgiven. Who's above his head? What higher court is there? Who can question him? That's the kind of teaching. Maybe even a little bit more animated than that. Maybe the response was a little bit more animated. But that was the kind of teaching that the folks in Antioch were hearing. So tensions spiked over the issue of circumcision and ceremonial laws and the nature of what did it mean to be the covenant people of God. These are the very issues that prompted Barnabas to go from Jerusalem to Antioch in the first place. He was sent on a mission from, the, from headquarters in Jerusalem to go and check out, see what's going on. But instead of setting them straight, which is what they expected, Barnabas did the opposite. He loved what he saw. He affirmed Gentiles were welcomed by faith alone and baptism. And so the stage was set for a major conflict between these two groups over the nature of the gospel. Frustrated by Barnabas' inaction, we see verse 1 of chapter 16. Look there with me if you will. It says, Some men came down from Judea that, to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now notice where Dr. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, notice where he comes down on this debate. Look at the choice of two words to describe these two sides. Men on the one side, brothers on the other. These men came down and they were teaching the brothers. You see how he, he picks that out. The Judean preacher's message wasn't well received at all by Antioch. It certainly wasn't re received well by Paul and Barnabas, who according to verse 2, it says, <clears throat> had no small dissension and debate with them. That's a nice way of saying they got into it. All right. All right. It's go time. They were angry. 
Now, I, again, we don't have time to go into great detail, but you could read uh, Galatians, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Galatia, the provinces of Galatia. He speaks to what's going on in his mind at this time. It paints a stark picture of the situation from his perspective. Listen to Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Paul puts it this way. False brothers came to spy on the freedom we had in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. It's kind of an unvarnished, black and white type of perspective. These false brothers, they came to spy. They came to put us into slavery. The point is, when Paul heard these claims about circumcision, he immediately addressed it and confronted them because it was essential to salvation. And apparently, the church in Antioch had his back. If you keep reading, it says that Paul and Barnabas and a number of others in a party were sent to Jerusalem, and on their way they shared all they'd witnessed God do in the Gentiles in the city of Antioch. They were warmly welcomed in Jerusalem, and then it says that they gave a full report of all that God had done in Antioch among the Gentiles. But in the midst of this discussion and, and testimony time and reporting, the opposition was still right there, and they didn't give an inch and so it was left to Peter, the Apostle Peter, and James, the head of the uh, Jerusalem Council, to sort things out. Now, these aren't replacement refs. These are the real deal. Luke records that the apostles listened to the testimony. They debated. They then huddled up and prayed together. And in the end, he records that it was Peter who gave the final ruling. God had worked in Peter's life over the past 15 years in some remarkable ways. The pastor Andy lifted up last week during the Sunday school class of how Peter was stretched by his relationship with Cornelius to see Gentiles can be part of the covenant, that, that food laws were no longer going to be operative. He was stretched. He was, he was stretched and pressed for this point. And then we read, if we keep reading in Acts 15, it's Peter who says, God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. It's absolutely revolutionary. Never been said before that God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We're all saved through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way. And then he adds, so don't put a yoke around the neck of our new brothers and sisters. That was new for Peter. That was new for Peter. That was a stretch. He and Paul will have their differences later on to work out. But in the end, salvation by grace alone through faith, the very integrity of the gospel was preserved. A pastoral letter was written by Peter and James. It was sent back to Antioch affirming the gospel of grace, disavowing the views of this circumcision party praising the sacrifice of Paul and Barnabas, and instructing the Gentile converts to abide by God's moral law, to assure healthy discipleship, and to preserve the relationship with their Jewish brothers and sisters. And so there were three key points there, that they were to avoid idol worship, sexual immorality, and food preparation issues of the time. So with that letter, the hope of the gospel going out, spreading to all peoples and to all nations remained uncompromised. The overarching lesson from 
this story is transformational churches and church leaders are committed to the gospel. We must be willing to endure conflict and debate and disagreement for the sake of the gospel, even at great expense. Trends within the church today, especially the tendency to substitute truth with my new favorite word, truthiness. Therapy for theology. The tendency to substitute uh, business management for ministry needs to be addressed. God's glorious purpose for Christ's church is often eclipsed by side issues. Confusion over critical issues concerning the authority of the Bible, the meaning of the gospel and its implications for all of life, and the nature of truth itself have gravely weakened the church's witness. Church with a capital C. The answer for today's crisis of compromise, just like at Antioch, lies in a recovery, in a reaffirmation of God's unchanging message to an ever-changing world. I heard a powerful quote this week. It was attributed to Martin Luther. God uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. I know that's true. I'm convinced my part in this recovery begins with me. It begins with you. It begins with all of us. Flawed, messy, crooked, unpolished people trying to be faithful to the Lord. It begins with a church bearing faithful witness to the glory of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change, to transform lives. Let's stand by the promises of God with a quiet confidence, demonstrating love and humility with other imperfect Christians. As Spurgeon said, like one beggar telling another where to find bread. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, you do some of your best work through the most unlikely and messy people. You can use broken, unfaithful people like me, like all of us, no less flawed than anybody else, to be witnesses to the amazing grace of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On this World Communion Sunday, prepare our hearts to receive again your free gift of grace, to be nourished by the bread of life anew. For this we ask in his precious name. Amen. Friends, would you please stand?